Well, how do I celebrate Easter in a year of death? I take a great big deep Holy Spirit breath and I say, Christ is risen and he is risen indeed. And a happy and a blessed Easter to all of you in the name of the one for whom death is not the final word, but it is life in him for you and me. The resurrection of Jesus is recorded in all four Gospels according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of which complement each other to fill in the details of history's greatest day. But those who know me best know that my favorite of the four is the resurrection according to John. And that even when the others are assigned, I often say, well, let's take it from John anyway, because John zooms in on the, on the relationships, on the reactions, even in the conflicts involving Jesus' closest disciples like Mary Magdalene and Peter and John. As the curtain rises on another Easter day and we hear of Mary going to the tomb and find the, finding the stone, which is this large, heavy wheel or disc rolled back into its channel, and she immediately comes to the conclusion that this is not a resurrection, but it's a grave robbery. As evidenced by her words, they have taken my Lord out of the tomb and I don't know where they have laid him. The they she is talking about is not specified. They may have been ordinary grave robbers who came after the very expensive linens and the very valuable spices that were part of the burial of Jesus on that Friday afternoon when they observed that unlike the common criminals who were crucified with Jesus that day, he was placed in a donated and a very upscale tomb that was provided by a very wealthy man named Joseph of Arimathea. Or maybe it was the gardener who back then wasn't just the guy who fixed the flowers, but rather was the chief administrative officer of the entire burial area. And he would have had the authority to make such a decision for one reason or another. Or maybe they were the religious authorities back in Jerusalem who decided at the last minute to move the body of Jesus so that the disciples themselves wouldn't take it away and then try to fake a resurrection, which is a concern they expressed to Pontius Pilate earlier that weekend. But whatever she was thinking, Mary is still thinking of a dead Jesus, which is what she reports when she runs to Peter and John, and they in turn run to the tomb themselves. And as they run, you have to kind of wonder about their relationship with each other, given the fact that John describes them as Peter and the disciple Jesus loved. What does that make Peter? The disciple Jesus tolerated? And then as they run, John wants us to know that he can run faster than Peter. And he gets to the tomb first, just so you know. And then when they arrive at the tomb, both of them ultimately eventually go inside and they see that it's empty except for the grave clothes. And when John sees, the Greek word is blepo, which is the ordinary word for see. But when Peter sees, the word is theoreo. He starts to theorize and think about what this really means. Because if these were grave robbers, then why on earth would they unwrap the body of Jesus before stealing it and leave those very expensive linens and those very valuable spices behind when that was the purpose of the grave robbery to begin with? Why would they do that? Why would the religious leaders do that? And if 
some unnamed disciples of Jesus took the body, why would they desecrate it in that way? And if they did that, why would they leave behind the grave clothes so neatly in place? Why would they carefully fold the linens? Why would they roll up the, the headscarf and put it in a place by itself? Who would do that? Who would tidy up a tomb? And so when Peter sees what he sees, he tries to think it through because a grave robbery is not adding up to him. John, on the other hand, tells us that when he sees, he believes. Well, good for him, even though both of them run away and return to their homes. And from that point on, the focus of the passage is on Mary Magdalene, who stays in the garden. She does not leave. And she breaks down. And she's weeping, sobbing, still thinking of a dead Jesus. Even when the risen one finds her when she cannot find him. And she mistakes him for the gardener that I mentioned and asks him if he removed the body for one reason or another under his authority. And that leads us to the turning point, the moment of truth in John's resurrection. When the risen Christ meets this weeping, grieving woman in her confusion, in her loss, in her misunderstanding, and he asks her, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? After which, he speaks her name, Mary. Author Timothy Keller reminds us that Jesus did not look at her that day and say, it's me. Rather, in saying her name, he looks at her in effect and says, it's you. It's you that I live for. It's you for whom I have been risen. Which leads to that stunning and powerful moment of recognition when Mary Magdalene finally realizes that this is not a grave robbery. It is a resurrection. And this is not a dead Jesus who is now very much alive with her and for her forever. Easter is and always was about Jesus' victory over the power of death by the power of his resurrection and, and our victory over the power of death as we put our hope and our trust in him. Or as I often like to say, it's really about the fact that God's love is stronger than death. And when he promises me life after death, I can firmly believe that. Easter is and always was about his victory over the power of sin by his sacrifice on that cross for your freedom, for your forgiveness, authenticated by the blood of the Lamb so that we would no longer have to be part of that sacrificial system of paying for our own sins as if we possibly could so that now our sacrifices our offerings, our worship, and our service are all responses to his love for us and not ways of trying to pay for it. And that is a game changer. That is a whole new way of having a relationship with God. And yet on this Easter Sunday, if you are still wondering what Jesus thinks of you on this day in this year of death, 
if you somehow still need a reminder that you really are saved by grace, then all you need to do is look at the one to whom Jesus was talking and who he makes the very first person to tell the rest of the world what happened. You know who Mary Magdalene really was? For starters, she was a woman. And the status and the reliability of the testimony of women back in those days was extremely low. In fact, there was a Greek philosopher by the name of Celsus who hated Christianity, tried to disprove it in large measure by attacking Mary Magdalene and saying, and I quote, who can expect reasonable men to accept the testimony of a hysterical female? Unquote. Which is to say that if you were writing the story of the resurrection, if you were making it up, women would be the last people that you would have as its first witnesses. And yet there they are in all four gospels according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and my favorite, St. John. Not only that and worse than that, Mary Magdalene is portrayed as a woman of a uniquely bad reputation given the fact that she is from the Western Galilean coastal fishing village of Magdala. That's where she gets her name. That's where she gets her identity. And fishermen would go to Magdala and they would meet with women of ill repute and there would be a lot of sinning going on. And even though there's no evidence either in or out of the Bible that Mary was among them, she has that reputation and she has to live with it. And then beyond that, what we do know and is true in Luke chapter 8, is that Jesus casts seven demons out of Mary, which is like an exorcism. And it's the way that people referred to things like mental illness and other illnesses back in those days. In the Gospel of Mark, a demoniac was a person who wandered around, heard voices, talked to themselves, said bizarre things, and they were social outcasts at least. And I share all of that with you because on the day of resurrection, the risen Jesus Christ looks at this hysterical woman, a reformed, recovered demoniac, whatever you believe about that, not a pillar of the community, not a person from a, a place of good repute, not a person that we would ever put in the story ourselves. And to her, he says, you are my messenger. And I don't know what could be a more powerful result of the event that we know as Easter. And the same was true for the men, the guys, Peter and John and the other uneducated fishermen. They got the same directions from Jesus in spite of their weakness, in spite of their fear, in spite of their impulsive reactions, in spite of their misunderstandings. Because it turns out that in the end, all of them, are disciples that Jesus loves. What I hope that says to you on this Easter Sunday is that Jesus Christ is also risen for you. He is alive for you. And that the only grave robber in the story is God himself who raised his son and who will raise you up. Not because of your clean record 
or because of your pedigree or your background or your performance or your place in the community or how fast you can run, but because of his grace and his love in your life. Because in revealing his risen life to you and me, he's showing us his true identity. And in calling your name, he's showing you yours. When he says, Mary, David, Bruce, Deborah, Mangesha, Liliana, Sarone, Jacob. I call you by name and you are mine. You are precious to me and I love you and I am with you forever. And so that is the story of Easter except for one more message and that is go be my messengers for the hope of the world and for the life of the world to come. And don't worry about losing me or holding on to me because you're never going to lose me. I'm always going to be with you. And we're always going to be together in ways that you can't even imagine and have yet to be revealed. Just go into a world of death and proclaim the good news of Easter. But before you do, make sure to make your bed. Fold up the linens neatly so that the world will know that like him, you have gone out to live the life of the risen Jesus Christ. And that's how we celebrate Easter in the year of our Lord, 2021. And so with our love and our prayers and our thanks for the people of St. Andrew and all who worship with us online and in person today, I wish you a blessed Resurrection Day. <laughs>